3: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You found VSIN's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line.
4: It is The Run Line here on the Sin. Happy to be with you. Hour number two. I'm Jeff Parles, Adam Burke alongside. Adam did not come to the show on uh, on a on the back of a horse like Charles Barkley apparently did in Dallas. We, so we, 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 long we, we... ride
5: up I fifteen on a horse <laughs>
4: <laughs> needs to happen at some point, right? If we're at the so, South Point. So it would need it... ride a horse from uh, South Point to uh, Circus. No, I mean it's uh, at the South Point it would be probably an easier, so uh, e- much easier. E- easier, thing to do. There's right? always horses around there. No, that's always. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Uh, the Clydesdales usually out there every once in a while, but we're, we're happy to be with you. By the way, the White Sox did not get a clutch hit. It's been a, been one of those surprise. nights. Surprise, surprise. Been one of those nights for the Sox. Kopech's been brilliant. One base runner through six, 67 pitches through six innings. And for the second leg of a double header, this is exactly what you're asking for. Just need your offense to wake up. If you're the Siders at this point.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And he blows away Aaron judge to lead off the seventh. And, you know, look, it's a really good observation that you made with the White Sox only playing five games over the next eight days. That bullpen needs a blow, needs a break, and they should get it here. And, and this is something I think is really important to talk about too because Ben Wilson and I have been discussing when do we fire on the White Sox to win the Central? Because I'm not a full-fledged believer in the Twins. As we've talked about, already. I think the White Sox are a much better team than they've played here so far. The schedules have been very, very different, and the schedules will remain different up until the All-Star break where the White Sox do end up playing a lot of pretty good teams and the Twins really don't. After the All-Star break, Chicago plays very few teams of consequence. So I keep waiting for a buy spot on the White Sox, but having three off days over the next week and a day, that kind of gets their bullpen back on track a little bit. So I, I, I keep harping on this. I keep pre, you know preaching patience about firing on the White Sox, hopefully a plus money to win the Central. I think we're going to get there. I hope we get there because I really want to get there. But, you know, if they can uh, kind of, you know, stabilize this bullpen and get these guys some days off, that'll be a tremendous help. This is pretty wild,
4: actually. I'm looking at this right now, just just freehanding this real quick, Adam. Until the last week of the season, after the All-Star break, the last the last nine games of the season, they played six against Minnesota and three in San Diego. Other than that, they play one series against a team that we expect to be in the race yep. from after the All-Star break. They have a series against Houston. That is it. Four in the middle of August. Everyone else, I expect at least, to be well out of contention when and you have Cleveland mixed in there who will inevitably stay in a little longer than they should and then come up short and Mr. window to get assets for, their tra- for the guys who are tradable. Which is par for the course, right, Adam?
5: Oh, yeah, that you just summed up the last 10 years of, <laughs> of my Indian slash Guardians fandom. But, I mean, look, to your point, you know, when I talked about this, I think it was maybe three weeks ago on the show, I said maybe four teams that would sort of be in the hunt. At that point, Colorado was still playing pretty well. Um, you know, they've got Seattle in the mix. They've got to go to Seattle. Maybe Seattle ends up being a little bit better, but maybe. They, they may play legitimately two playoff contender three i guess with minnesota three playoff contenders after the all-star break now it's it's more than possible
4: it's just an ugly uh ugly schedule for anyone but the white Sox at this right. point for the white Sox, it's exactly what you're looking for especially if you're going to underachieve where you have your your front-loaded schedule
5: and if nothing else i mean you know i'm, I'm going to try and my best to find a plus money price then to win the central And maybe there's one out there in the market right now if there is you know hit us up and let us know but also an adjusted season win total at the all-star break i mean they're going to be significantly favored in a lot of those games that we're talking about in the second half when lance lynn gets back when lucas giolito is a little bit healthier uh you know maybe they push dallas keichel out of the rotation by then they get an upgrade at the trade deadline something like that they're going to be a big favorite in a lot of those games especially if this offense gets going so it's a lot of ifs a lot of speculation but I, i think we're on the right track here
4: White Sox and Yankees still no score. Kopech really just dominant so mm-hmm. far. 75 pitches. He will can, can be able to go into the eighth inning here. No, no doubt he whatsoever. Uh, unless if something really goes awry with John Carlo at the dish now for the Yankees. Uh, just looking at the rest of this past week. We mentioned it in passing, but I want to bring it up real quick. Because the Giants were swept by the Padres this weekend in San Francisco. And for the Padres, where if you looked at the – going into this weekend, they were one of those teams that felt like, all right, they're clearly a good baseball team. But they are overachieving a little bit right now. That's not the case anymore after this weekend where you match up, you match up their their Pythagorean theorem win-loss win, uh, win loss with uh, with the run differential. Yeah, they're playing a little bit above their heads, but it's not like it was going into the weekend. And to do that to the Giants, who – Look, let's face it, it hasn't mattered what the Giants have looked like, Adam, since the beginning of last year. They just find ways to win, and the Padres beat them at their own game this weekend.
5: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting when you look at the Giants here. They had a stretch from April 27th to May 6th where they lost 7 of 8. Now they're in a stretch where they've lost 6 of 8. They've also had a couple of five-game winning streaks this year. They've been all over the map. They've been very, very inconsistent. A couple of things that have been interesting to me about the Giants that have kind of stood out. The first is that they have regressed significantly on defense, and I'm not entirely sure why that is, hmm. but their outfield defense is is among the worst in Major League Baseball this year. So they have a lot of guys where their ERAs are higher than their FIPS, their X fips their Sierras, expected ERAs, all of that. So the Giants are a team that they are just not helping themselves at all whatsoever on defense. The second thing is they had some guys that came up with COVID here this month. They were missing Mike Yastrzemski. They were missing Brandon Belt. Um, you know They've just kind of been... They haven't really gotten into a rhythm for, for whatever reason here. I still think this team is really good. I know the projection systems were low on the Giants coming into the season, but I also want to talk about this from a Padres standpoint because, you know, obviously you had the 8-7 game on Friday, but then you get a really, really strong start from Joe Musgrove again on Saturday. Mackenzie Gore looked great here on Sunday. I've talked about this this week in Point Spread Weekly. They got Ruben Niebla, who was pretty much – he had a hand in everything in mm-hmm. the Cleveland Indians organization on the pitching side. He was a minor league pitching coordinator, uh, assistant pitching coach. They wanted to do what they could to keep him around, but Niebla is actually a San Diego area native, so it's pretty easy for him to take the job. I think his daughter attends San Diego State, Um, but he goes to San Diego, and the thing that Ruben Niebla is really, really good at is interpreting and analyzing the data and then presenting it to the pitchers in a way that makes sense to them. So I think he has the chance to elevate the pitching profile of just about everybody in that rotation and in that bullpen. And I think we've seen a lot of that here so far, and I think we will continue to see more of it.
4: So I'm going to go a little, little less numbers based real quick here. I'll, I'll take the Josh towers role all of a sudden. Let's look at the Padres and the Mets two teams last year that the Mets led their division into August and then totally crumbled, ended up under 500. The Padres, at a point where the at a lot of points the last year, were the second favorite to win the World Series and ended up under 500. How much, Adam? Just basics here. Having an adult in the room managing the team. Where look, Jace Tingler could end up being a good major league manager at some point. Luis Rojas could end up being a good major league manager at some point. Both of those guys, Tingler in Minnesota right now, and their coaching Steph Rojas just switched boroughs. He's the Yankees' third base coach now. But how much having two guys that are established, very good managers in Showalter for New York and Bob Melvin for San Diego, just as simple as flipping that, just changes the tenor of what you anticipate from the teams.
5: Yeah, I think so, and also too, Bob Melvin's had some, some prostate cancer things going yes. on that he's been tending to and all that. So he he was the, back this weekend. Right. The the idea that the Padres were in a spot where things could have gone awry, you know, because they had this. I don't want to call it a bit of adversity. It kind of seems like that sort of you know undersells what Melvin's dealing with, but because you know, that's much bigger than baseball, of course. But but they had this period where things could have been a, a little bit shaky, a little bit crazy, a little bit iffy, and they really weren't. You know, I think that speaks to the coaching staff that Bob Melvin has put in place, and a guy like Niebla is just a really good communicator. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a big Terry Francona guy, but it's easy for me to use the Indians as an example here. They had Manny Acta for three years, 2010 through 2012 and Acta was a guy that they hired because Manny Acta was very well versed in sabermetrics. The problem is based on what I've heard from some people that are in the know with the team and all of that, he couldn't communicate with the players. Like the player he just it didn't register. Now of course that was a decade ago. Advanced analytics were still kind of making their way You're in. They still knew that. You know, all of that, but he just he couldn't communicate with the players. So they get a Terry Francona, right? A proven veteran, you know, calming presence, leader type of guy at least until, you know, things kind of got questionable in Boston at the end of his tenure. But the 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 Cleveland Indians felt like they needed that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I think the Padres and the Mets both felt like they needed that kind of guy. And Bob Melvin, you know, I don't know how analytically savvy he is. I don't know how analytically savvy Terry Francona is. But those are guys that can lead and that, and that the clubhouse sort of gravitates towards. And, and that's the thing for me, you know. The unquantifiable element of a manager is kind of hard for me to wrap my head around because I right. don't have the data on it. But you can see a difference, and that's where the eye test really comes into play. Well, you see
4: with both of those teams. And Melvin, look, right. Melvin's a little bit different than than your normal, just old-school manager because when you manage in Oakland, right. you're, you're, you're having to plop and play the way that Billy Bean and company in that front office give you your roster. So you at least have to be a, at a bare minimum a little analytically savvy right. if you're Melvin. And uh, for Showalter, again, who, a guy who is just, I mean, heck, the, the man made the ALCS with the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. Like, that's, that's all you really need to know uh, uh, from Showalter's perspective, a guy who is a tremendous regular season manager who just hasn't had the postseason success.
5: And, and I'll also say this too. I know we're running up against the break here, but you know, the Mets hired Jeremy Hefner to be the pitching coach a couple of years and ago. And they kept him. He's in his mid thirties. You know, yeah. another young guy able to communicate this advanced data to his pitchers. Neable is not a young guy per se, but he's a guy who was in the Indians organization forever, very exposed to the data. So you get this guy, the light, the baseball lifer, and then your pitching coach is kind of the more data-driven type of guy. I think that kind of setup works really, really well. Nah, and it's worked for
4: both of those two teams. As we know, the Padres would be the number one wild card in the National League. The Mets would be the NL East champions if we were playing a 45-game season, which thankfully we are not here in 2022. When we come back, we're going to be looking at, oh, man, we're going to be looking at home runs. Who doesn't love that? We're going to be looking at home run numbers through the first month plus of the season next on The Run Line.
3: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You found Visa's premier baseball betting show. This is the run line.
4: It is the run line on v Sin. Happy to be with you. He's Adam Burke. I'm Jeff Parles. Adam, the quick update in the Bronx. They are in the eighth now. No score still. Kopech, uh, of course, I jinxed Michael Kopech. I apologize. Who had to really work to get out of the seventh inning after uh, just flying through. One hit through six and two thirds. Walked the parent and was able to get out of it. Getting uh, Floriel out in that inning, so we probably will see the White Sox bullpen in the eighth inning. You know,
5: Luis Severino goes seven innings, gives up eight hits, hits two batters, gives up no runs because the White Sox are one for 11 with is a man in scoring position. That is that is not good, and that's been a problem for them all year long. It's been a problem for the Toronto Blue Jays, a very big problem for them, their performance with men in scoring position. It, it's a big area of regression that I try to handicap in terms of performance with runners in scoring position because – that's ultimately what ends up dictating most of these games. You know, if, if you go four for 11 instead of one for 11 with men in scoring position, you're probably winning that game. Uh, so, you know, for the White Sox here, if they had gotten any hits outside of the one that they got that didn't even score a run, uh, you know, then they'd, they'd be in much better shape here. But that's such a huge part of the game that I pay attention to throughout the course of the season. I I just, uh,
4: I can't believe I mush kopeck like that. I feel bad. Feel Bad for doing that, Adam.
5: Really do. You, he didn't hear you. No, I know. He, he had I, no hope, idea. Hopefully, he didn't hear me.
4: Hopefully, that would be a so listen, not, listen a, a a, someone, the run line in the dugout. So, someone must my, would have had to have uh, hacked the uh the pitch track there <laughs> in, order, in order for that to happen. By the way, uh, ooh, nice. oh, nope. nope. I was gonna say that. that was about to be a really nice play. Lead off man
5: on Lead off man again, again for, for the White Is
4: that gonna be an E6 Is that gonna be a base hit, do you think?
5: I'd probably give him a base hit on that one. I think
4: I would too. And it would have been an E four anyway.
5: Also, something interesting to keep in mind here for the Yankees, Chad Green going for Tommy John surgery. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a team that everybody's virtually stayed healthy. They really haven't had a whole lot to deal with up until this point. Now they lose one of their primary relievers. We'll see how Aaron Boone winds up adjusting in those high leverage situations. But, you know, those are things that they're not accounted for in the betting market. They don't adjust the line. They don't impact the line at all because a primary reliever is gone. But it is something that can have a significant impact because now other guys have to step up into higher leverage situations. Aroldis Chapman actually pitched in game one today and his velocity was alarmingly low in the mid-90s. So kind of worrying about that now for the Yankees as well. So you know, th- these are important things to kind of keep in mind where they're not going to have any impact whatsoever on the betting line but will have an impact on how the team plays their games.
4: Oh, come on, Adam. Holmes is now the greatest reliever in the history of baseball, according to some. He's been really good. He's so been, yeah. <laughs> Talk about, this is why, like, I'm happy you brought up the reliever thing, because I, I understand why it can be infuriating to figure out year to year what teams' bullpens are going to be, because you got Holmes, who in Pittsburgh, was as bad as they come, and now all of a sudden is virtually unhittable. Unless if you're Mariano Rivera, or Trevor Hoffman, or... Or Billy Wagner, the greats of the greats of the of the uh, of the bull of the closers, it really is amazing just how much variance there is with these bullpen guys year to year. It really is amazing.
5: Yeah. Oh, there, there's a ton of variance, and yeah. and it's it's hard to figure out, especially too, because you'll see guys that are just dominant, just elite level relievers that the next year you can't even use them in a game. Right. right. You can't even use them in long relief or anything like that. The the turnover rate of bullpen arms is astonishingly high, and you know maybe I think to some degree even myself, full knowing what I just talked about, I don't even respect the guys that are consistently good year in and year out enough. I don't think.
4: Yeah, no, and and look, there are very few left of those in baseball. Let's just let's just face it: there are very few guys who you can rely on year to year to year. Even the good, even the 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 elite relievers now even have one clunker year. Look at Edwin Diaz. Terrible in 2000, uh, 2019, uh, better as it's gone along in New York. Uh, Hendricks, a guy who gives up gives up his pops every once in a while as well. Guy who closed the game for the American League in the All-Star game a year ago. Speaking of uh, of long balls, we haven't seen many of those so far this year. No. Adam, as we get through. Not at all. We get through. Uh, I think we're going to have fun with numbers here. So the numbers for April Home run numbers, of course, 2020 not included because, of course, we didn't have baseball in April of 2020. The numbers include the first two weeks of May here for April. In 2022, through the first two weeks of May, 798 home runs, okay? 2021, in the month of April, 873. 2019, at the peak of the juiced ball, 1,144. That's just ridiculous, Then uh, 2018, 912, 2017, 863. Looking at team averages, home run per game, under one right now. Look, you have talked about a lot on this show in the first month, the impact of the humidor in every ballpark now, being utilized, cold weather, the baseball not being the same baseball year to year. These numbers are ridiculous. It has picked up a little bit this week, but still, it's still way below pace from what we should be having at this point.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the home run run per fly ball percentage, it's at 10.7% entering today's action, the lowest we've seen since 2014. Hmm. And we're talking about it being 13.6% last year when the ball had been kind of deadened a little bit, 14.8% in 2020, 15.3% in 2019. So 15% of fly balls in 2019 were hit out of the ballpark. This year, we're down around 11%. And it was 10% in April. It's up to 11.4% in May. So we are starting to see a little bit more offense. We are starting to see some more home runs being hit. And, you know, look, it's, it's one of those things to me where a lot of teams kind of went into that launch angle craze. They changed their offensive philosophy and all of that. So we saw this big uptick in power. Pitchers have adjusted and learned how to pitch to it and kind of try to avoid that a little bit. But this year, being such a substantial outlier from the last five or six seasons, it, it's that's all about the humidor. And now we'll see businesses picking up a little bit in May. We'll see if that continues to pick up into June.
4: Oh, we'll see what happens, uh, Adam. And of course, uh, remember, last year, we talked about the humidor already. I, last year, just... You see the non-humidor parks, the numbers were better just all the way around. So, like you said, I think we've talked about it through tonight. We've talked about it with Ben through the first few weeks of the show. Warm weather is a welcome sign if you're looking for long balls. Those numbers that we went through before in in the cold-weather cities, Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, it's not going to be 43 degrees and cloudy. The Bronx? <laughs> yeah. The, the Bronx
5: is another one here? You yeah. Another like, low-scoring game here?
4: Yeah, it, it's funny because the the weather is as hot as it's going to basically be all year in New York this weekend, and it <laughs> hasn't mattered in that series. By the way, the
5: White Sox have another opportunity with a runner in scoring position. How will this one not work out for the White Sox? It's crazy. And, and look, <laughs> this is something, too. You know, I, I talk about the things that make me kind of uncomfortable that are sort of unquantifiable, but – People talk about hitting being contagious with a runner in scoring position. And for the most part, it is, you know, I mean, it just, everybody kind of relaxes a little bit once you get that first hit. And if you're pressing and you're a team kind of struggling in that split, for example, when I wrote the first version of the regression report for Point Spread Weekly, I talked about the Blue Jays and how their strikeout percentage with men in scoring position absolutely skyrocketed because guys are just, you know, they're pressing, you know, they're just, they're trying to do too much. You wind up swinging and missing when you try to do too much. So the Blue Jays, along with not getting hits, just weren't even putting as many balls in play with men in scoring position. So that can be a real thing, too. Bad luck for the
4: White Sox. Ball that was only 99 miles an hour off the bat for Garcia, finds a glove, a kind of Faleva short. So that, that was the first time we really saw good contact with runners in scoring position, and even a good contact goes for, not for the yep. White Sox. Just one of those nights
5: it is it's just one of those nights and it's just one of those things and, and and those things can balloon i mean they can snowball quite a bit and i think that's been part of the problem for chicago part of the problem for toronto the nice thing for those two teams their pitching has largely saved them from being you know off to really bad starts and and that's why those are teams i think you really need to take an extended look at here because they are you know overperforming to a degree mm-hmm. based on their pitching but the offense is going to come around i mean the, the one thing that I talk about in terms of looking for positive and negative regression is you want to look for the extreme outliers, the ones that are way too high and the ones that are way too low. They're going to regress to the mean to some degree. So for Toronto being as awful as they've been with men in scoring position, it's going to get better. First of all, it has to because nobody is that bad with men in scoring position. But second, you look at all that talent in the lineup. You know, it's got to get better than what it is. Same thing for the white Sox. Same thing for the Red Sox. We've talked about already, you know, had a big offensive series against Seattle. Those are things that that I think you can really create profiles of teams to, to, you know, kind of play on or play against them for a sustained period of time. Red Sox,
4: of course, like you said, finally woke up offensively. Mm -hmm. We've only been waiting the whole season for that to happen with with that team, which we know last year they pitched above their heads. They hit exactly what we expected this year, their lineup. Till this weekend, had done nothing. Franchi Cordero, by the way, walk-off grand slam. Always, always fun to see uh, Franchi actually uh, come up with a uh, with something big.
5: Incredible prospect talent. Yeah, just never, <laughs> never never panned really out. Caught on in the major leagues, and and we'll see. We'll see if he's able to do that uh, as the White Sox. Oh, finally look at that. Get that big hit. Yeah, Andrew Vaughn. Why is he batting eighth?
4: <laughs> Tony Larusa. Why Vaughn RBI single? White Sox on the board. in the top of the eighth inning in the Bronx. Looking to sweep a double dip from the New York Yankees. Speaking of said Yankees, the Kings of the East right now both reside in New York. Look at the NL and AL East next on The Run Line.
0: You found Visa's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line.
4: Baseball predictions made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon. To compete free for cash all season, enter weekly prediction pools to fight for your share of $62,500 in total prizes. And of course, right now head to draftkingscom moon. now to join in on the action. Blue Moon made brighter. 21 or older in order to be in this. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See draftkings.com. For details, and as always, drink responsibly. Like I said an hour ago, a blue moon sounds good. Sounds even better now.
5: Indeed. Absolutely. Especially on a Sunday night. Yeah.
4: Nice, nice, uh, nice refreshment. Hey, we got the
5: beverage. spot. Can we just put a couple? Well, we can't do, I guess we could do draft, but we'd have to have a blue moon logo on the draft glass, right? right. We could hypothetically have a bottle. That's fair.
4: We're apparently going to build cup holders in a desk. I like that. I think uh, yeah, a, I'm good with that idea. I think that's a good idea. A run line request. Of <laughs> Jeff Parles in for Ben Wilson tonight. He's out of Burke. Happy to be with you here on the run line. This is right up my alley. This is good. I'm happy Brian Ortega allowed, uh, is going to allow me to talk about the Mets for a little bit. So excited. I'm hitting my so, microphone all over the place. Had a blue moon during the break. <laughs> yeah, no. oh, the if. By the way, the White Sox, by the way, up 5 nothing. Tim Anderson, three-run shot, and the uh, White Sox
5: pouring it on finally. There's the big hit. Right? You, you get the two singles, and then you get the big blow. I, I think that there's really something to be said about that. If you can get that hit, kind of relax everybody, now you don't even have to worry about using Liam Hendricks unless something goes haywire in the eighth.
4: Yeah, hopefully hopefully for Larusa he, uh, he actually doesn't have to use Hendricks, even though you and I were pretty certain he was going to use him if it was a safe situation. But uh, nevertheless, not a safe situation anymore. All right, so the Yankees... Look like they're going to drop both games at a double dip here. So we'll move them to 29 and 12 in the AL East. The Rays, oh man, the Rays, what a weird weekend for them in Baltimore where they had the interminable game on Friday night. Can't get it done. They win Adley Rutschman's debut on Saturday. And then today, another walk-off win for the Baltimore Orioles. By the way, the Baltimore Orioles are not a good baseball team but they are not as terrible as we thought they were going to be going into the season.
5: So I'm actually looking at Baltimore as a team. I think the rest of the way ends up playing pretty well. Now they've got Rutschman up there. That'll obviously help their offense tremendously. Mount castle's been out. Hayes has been out. They both kind of dealing with some stuff. Hayes is actually one of their top hitters this year. He's mm-hmm. off to a really, really nice start. Grayson Rodriguez is coming. DL hall is coming. Those two guys will infuse a lot of talent into this rotation, which already looks pretty decent anyway, with Bruce Zimmerman pitching well, even in the absence of John Means. Uh, Kyle Bradish has had some pretty good starts. You know, They've had some guys that have performed pretty well. The bullpen is really solid. I am I like Baltimore not only really for the rest of the season, but I think long-term too.
4: At some point, things are going to have to turn there. Yes. There's
5: just too many high draft
4: picks for not to turn, at least a little bit at some point. For the Orioles, but look at let's flash those AL East odds again real quick, because the Yankees, assuming they don't come back here tonight, they'll lose another head. They'll lose a half game on Tampa, so they will be five games clear of the Rays. they will be seven and ten games clear of the Blue Jays and Red Sox, respectively. The Yankees are minus two fifty five right now at DK. Blue Jays plus three fifty. Tampa, just again, doesn't matter. Just Seemingly always disrespected in the market, it's plus six fifty. Uh, five games behind, assuming the Yankees don't uh, come back tonight. Red Sox way back at thirty-five to one. The Orioles thousand to one. If you really want to uh, make a donation to the book there, H- Adam. I, that pr- obviously it's too late to get in on the Yankees if you want to. You want to bet them in the division market, but is that price too high?
5: I think that price is too high. I mean, look. As as much as I do like Baltimore, I mean the Yankees are 7 and 3 against the Orioles so far and they play them coming up here this week, mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So they will have played 13 of their 19 games against Baltimore for this season already. So that'll help your that'll help your record certainly. They're 3 and 0 against Cleveland, they swept that series. They played Detroit, they won that series. They played Kansas City, they won that series. Yeah, they're 6 and 3 against Toronto and they still have 10 games left to go head to head with the Blue Jays. They have not played Tampa Bay yet which I think is really interesting. They only played three games against Boston. So I look at the Yankees, and they've played a pretty weak schedule here for the most part. They've played some of the bad teams in the Central Division. Yes, they've performed well against the White Sox, at least up until tonight, having won four out of five. But now they'll finish that season series at four and three. They just haven't really played that many good teams. Toronto, all of their issues stem from not hitting with men in scoring position. And the Rays, you know, I... It's kind of funny. I I write the daily article Monday through Saturday over at com. I haven't really been on or against the Rays much this season. I just... Priced right in the market. Yeah, they've been priced right in the market, but then I also kind of look at them and I'm like, there's something not right about this team. I feel like they're underperforming. And then I go and look and they're 24 and 17. Like, they're off to a nice start, but they're just kind of an afterthought. It's Kind of what they've been their whole existence
4: since they've become a consistent winner after being the drag of baseball their first decade in existence right Uh, just again the Rays would have to be like you would you look at the blue jays in that in that market or would you look at the Rays at the longer price being closer to the yankees
5: well i will say this i mean you know toronto's already you know minus three in terms of their head-to-head games against the yankees they have 10 more cracks at them so at least there's that um and also too i I think toronto is just there's something misfiring with that offense I don't know what it is I imagine it'll probably pick up here at some point but what the Rays do should be really conducive for this current offensive environment they win a lot of low scoring games because of their pitching this is the environment that should be really good for them so I don't think that the Rays that that's that, you know six to one prices is, is that bad of an investment here I think the Yankees look also too for the Yankees I mean let, let's be honest here Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton getting through a full season healthy. That hasn't happened in a long time. I'd be really surprised if it does this year, you get the green injury Severino's coming back off of missing basically two years. You know, Garrett Cole is, is back to mostly being Garrett Cole, but you know, I think that there are some, some questions here with the Yankees, with their personnel, with their age, with their injury history and all of that. Whereas, you know, the rays, they just, because of their organizational philosophy, It's legitimately just a next man up kind of thing.
4: Looking at the other current New York team in the division lead, the Mets, who have the biggest lead of anyone in baseball in the division. They lead the Phillies and the Braves by eight apiece going into this week. We mentioned it earlier. The Mets are dealing with, obviously, Jacob deGrom hasn't thrown a pitch yet this year. They gave a very vague report earlier in the week. So I guess you're thinking at this point probably all-star break potentially for DeGrom with that stress reaction in his scapula. Max Scherzer had an oblique injury that's going to keep him on the shelf 6 to 8 weeks. Tyler McGill last week went on the IL with tendonitis in his bicep even though it seems that that may be a shorter stay than once originally thought there for the big right-hander it was off to a great start before the injury came in with a flurry against Washington and that one star where couldn't where the velocity was way down, and Washington knocked them around in two innings. But, Adam, it's just one of those, for me, where if you're looking to make a bed in this division, obviously you're not laying a price with the Mets right now with these injuries. Do you look to Atlanta, or do you look to Philadelphia, where the Braves have just been all... And it really, they've been a mess to begin this year, losing Freddie Freeman. Matt Olsen is in a horrible slump right now. And the Phillies, who... Based off of uh, a Pythag- Pythagorean theorem, they have underachieved the three games under.
5: Yeah, look, I I couldn't do anything with the Phillies. I, I'm just, I'm not a believer in the Phillies. I know that offensively they have the potential to be a really, really good team, but I still don't like the pitching staff that much. I really don't like the bullpen, and I still have massive concerns about their, their defensive team. The Braves, you know, look, they lost another game today, so they dropped to 19 and 22. I, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with this team. And I do know that their offensive philosophy is not at all conducive for this run environment. They hit a lot of fly balls. They barrel a lot of balls. They make a lot of hard contact. They're ninth in hard hit percentage. They're in the top five. They get in the top three in barrel percentage. We've talked about it already. Barrels just aren't producing the same results this season, but that's an offense that I still think is really, really good. And that's a pitching staff that in a lot of ways, I feel like has underperformed this season, even with, the big leap that we've seen from Kyle, Wright, I still think that the Braves are going to be there when all is said and done and be either within striking distance or win this division. But I just haven't seen enough consistent signs to even entertain the idea of investing in them.
4: Marlins, of course, also technically in this mix as well, a half game behind both Atlanta and Philadelphia with a, with a plus 17 run differential. Just one of those where they just have been horrible in close games so far this year. The, a team that I also think is a year away. I wouldn't invest in Miami either. I it just I, I know there was a lot of talk this offseason about replacing Freddie Freeman with Matt and Yet yeah, there'd be a slight drop, but it would not be a, a drop that would push Atlanta out in a scenario that they're in right now. That has not worked out, that take so far. And I understand... The long year, Matt Olson is a very streaky hitter. But look, in the shortened season, Matt Olson was awful for the A's. He was awesome last year. But it's just one of those guys where it, it, it can be, again, it was a 60-game season in 2020. It's just one of those guys, if he doesn't get that hot streak, all of a sudden you're like, oh, my goodness, this guy's hitting 225 and the power's not even there. It'd be a dangerous scenario there for the Braves, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Olsen's a flyball guy. Yeah. Tough environment. Not not working right now for anyone who's trying to hit home runs, as we know. We wrap up the show, the run line, here on
1: VEASAN.
3: And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You found Visa's premier baseball betting show. This is The Run Line.
4: The Veasan Summer Special is here, and just $39 will get you everything Veasan has to offer from now through the end of July. The next few months are going to be filled with the best betting content in the business, right here at Veasan, and subscribers will have access to all of it, including some guy named Adam Burke has a has his daily MLB best bets. Some guy named Adam Burke.
5: You could even fade him with a subscription <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> Jonathan Montalvo, who you
4: heard earlier on the network on how to Hardwood Handicappers will have best bets all the way through the NBA Finals. And then Andy McNeil will break down all the action on the ice all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs. Big night for Evander Kane, apparently. We'll have lots of NFL preseason coverage and not to mention continued best bets, premium articles covering golf, UFC, the USFL, which is still going apparently, and NASCAR. If you want the full VEASAN experience, which features a daily best bet email every addition of point spread weekly use our betting tools and a live video stream so you can see our faces anytime you want the cost is just 39 american dollars to be a subscription is a subscription holder i should say through july 31st sign up now vison.com slash summer that's all the time we have after that read no i'm kidding <laughs> One more segment well, before Greg Peterson takes over. people to
5: subscribe to see our faces. We're trying to sell subscriptions. I mean,
4: not, people want to see Greg good. Peterson's face. Who will, who will be next after us? He's in for Scott Seidenberg on the Look Ahead coming up next. The loaded version of the Look Ahead is always on the Sunday night into your Monday morning. That is pretty. You are right, Adam. Who who wants to see our faces?
5: I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I'm married, and you're going to be. So <laughs> that's start, right. I, We have at least two the, people. The, yeah. <laughs>
4: It doesn't matter in the end, right? But uh, we're looking at one game uh, almost at its conclusion now, by the way. The White Sox finally busted through, got the big hit, the big blow, Tim Anderson's three run homer to make it 5 nothing over the Yanks. The uh, White Sox, again, win would get them over 500 and a good sweep of the Yankees in a double dip today if they can hold this five run cushion in the uh, ninth inning. They uh, do have the meat of the order up against McKay the Bray with a Brayu at the dish right
5: now, Adam. Well, despite your best efforts and your successful efforts to jinx Michael Kopech, a <laughs> phenomenal start from him today. They, phenomenal, They yes. absolutely needed that, especially, you know, with Dylan has looked good, Lucas Giolito's looked really good, Lance Lynn should be back sometime next month. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a healthy Michael Kopech. This is a really formidable front four in that rotation for the White Sox, and all it's going to take now is that offense getting going.
4: Well, come in time, as we mentioned before, that second half of the schedule is easy yes. for the White Sox. They're going to be able to take advantage. I, I think I like your plan of taking the more so than the division number, which White Sox could still be leading the division by five games and the All-Star break wouldn't surprise anyone. Be interesting to see what that adjusted win total of the All-Star break mm-hmm. is going to be because they might not be able to make a number that's high enough based off that schedule, Adam.
5: Yeah, and, and something else to consider too is – I don't know what a World Series price might look like at the All-Star break or thereabouts, but keep in mind, you have a new playoff format this year. Yes. And the top two seeds in each league get a buy. They don't have to play in the wild card round. They just get a buy to the division series to where if Chicago is potentially in striking distance for something like that, I mean, they are still nine games behind the Yankees, assuming they finish this one off. But if they find themselves in striking distance, be able to be good enough in the second half to get a top two seed – Maybe that ends up being a futures play that you want to consider as well.
4: Actually, I'm happy you brought that up because I want want to ask you on this because just looking at this new format that, by the way, I'm sure a lot of people will not even realize we have a new format until all of a sudden there's 10 days to go in the season. It's like, wait a second. Why why are, let's say hypothetically, the Mets and the Brewers who could very easily be duking it out for the second and third seeds in the NL. Why are they going all out with 10 days to go? They've already wrapped up their divisions. They're... Or about to clinch them. Why are they going all out? Oh, yeah, because there's a ginormous difference all of a sudden between the two and the three seed, which I think, Adam, you bring up a really good point of those futures to win a pennant or win a World Series. If you end up on the three line, your journey gets exponentially harder to get through, and also that price that you may think is pretty good may actually end up not being particularly great Especially, let's say, like the Brewers end up as the three seed and have to win a three-game series against the Cardinals and then flip around and, oh, DeGrom and Scherzer are waiting for you, assuming they're healthy.
5: Right, absolutely. And, and, you know, something else, too, it's not a one-game wild card anymore. It's It's a three-game. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you're talking about a scenario where maybe a team has to burn three starting pitchers. Mm -hmm. You know, has to use a reliever three days in a row. You know, I mean, whereas the top two seeds are just kind of sitting around hoping for carnage and chaos. You know, that, that may have a really, really tremendous impact on not only the playoffs, but also how you want to structure your futures portfolio if you've got one or you plan to have one.
4: By the way, not that, uh, not, not that it matters right now because we know baseball is not forward, or at least Major League Baseball's uh, office there in Manhattan, not the most forward-thinking place. How are they not reseeding this thing? How are they not reseeding this thing? When the six, seed inevitably, uh, six inevitably beat the three, Let's say the Cardinals beat the Brewers in the hypothetical, and then the Dodgers, who are going to win over hundred games again, draw the Padres, who win ninety-seven as opposed to the Brewers, who win like ninety-four, no. or the Cardinals, who win eighty-eight or whatever it is. Seems fair.
5: I, I just like last year, you had a hundred and seven win team against a hundred and six win team, in the best of five in a best of five that ended on a wrong check swing <laughs> call. Like you had every variable necessary to completely overhaul everything, and naturally, they did not. No, it just...
4: I I am ready for it. I am ready for that, where, where, look, it may end up working to the benefit of, like, let's say the White Sox. Let's say the White Sox win the AL Central, like, 87 wins, and then all of a sudden, whoever the two-seed is is like, oh, great, we get the 87-win White Sox, as opposed to maybe the Angels, who could finish second in the the AL West, and win 94 games. Like, it's just ridiculous. madness, but... It's a different that's a discussion that I know we will be having probably in August because uh, as we know, football takes over in in September and October, as we know. yes, until the postseason starts in Major League Baseball. just look into the week ahead, Adam, as you look at your schedule your handy dandy schedule going into this week, the you, you mentioned it during the break. The biggest thing of tomorrow, <laughs> Chad Cole makes his return to Pittsburgh now, but in no seriousness. The series, the two series that stand out to me to begin tomorrow, that I'm really or, or make it three, actually. We'll have some fun. We'll make it three here. The Phillies and the Braves, because those are two teams that we we mentioned in the last segment, teams that have underachieved so far this year. The Brewers get a nice test against the Padres. The Padres also let's see how they handle even more success after sweeping the Giants. And then the Mets and the Giants. So two West Coast series here. Where the Mets are dealing with all sorts of pitching injuries. David Peterson's coming up from Triple A to make the start tomorrow night for the Mets against Alex Cobb. And the Giants, who have not who you've said have been all over the map so far this year. Hot, cold, hot, cold, in the middle of a cold streak right now.
5: Yeah, and, and interesting first games, too. You know, you got Zach Wheeler as a, a small road favorite against the Braves, and, and deservedly so. And I don't know what we're going to get from Tucker Davidson in that one, but another tough matchup for a Braves offense that has underperformed to this point in the season. I'll be curious to see what the rest of the market opens for this Brewers and Padres game. Looks like we've got um, a small favorite role here for San Diego back behind us at the Circa Mm -hmm. resort and casino. If that's the case and I can get the Brewers as a dog against Nick Martinez, I will probably look to do that tomorrow, even though Adrian Hauser has not pitched particularly well. And that Peterson and Cobb matchup, you know, Cobb, a a big favorite, deservedly so in that one. But, you know, the the Giants, as we've talked about, very, very streaky all over the place. Not really sure what to necessarily expect from them. A couple of other series I think are really interesting here. That little two-gamer for Toronto and St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Because I talked about it already where I'm looking to go against St. Louis against above-average right-handed pitching. Jose Barrios is a guy that over the last few seasons has been above-average. This year, he is not. He's giving up a ton of hard contact, although his last few starts have been pretty decent. That's an interesting matchup against Miles Mikolas, who I think is a really big negative regression candidate. Oh, yes. That may be a game where I end up taking the price with Toronto. But then in the second game of that quick little two-gamer, as I mentioned, Kevin Gossman gets the start for Toronto against the Cardinals, and the Cardinals do not hit above average right-handed as well. And and <laughs> Gossman's a guy who's currently you know up there among the AL Cy Young favorites. So... Could be an interesting little two-game series there for the Cardinals. Well,
4: not only that, Barrios is a guy who, when he's at his best, is an elite right-handed pitcher. We haven't seen that much this year, but get right, be a scenario where that could be bad news for the Cardinals. Like we said with St. Louis team, like you said, don't hit, they don't hit elite right-handed pitching, and a massacre left-handed pitching, regardless of who it is. And we saw that this weekend in Pittsburgh, where they destroyed Jose Quintana yesterday.
5: And one last one I want to mention real quick here from a market-watching standpoint on the overnights. Kansas City and Arizona, Zach Granke and Zach Davies. Hmm. I think these are two guys that the market probably won't be super high on, but Davies is a guy the market bets against with regularity. If you see a line move on Arizona and the overnights, that is a very, very loud and clear line move. So keep an eye out for that one here tonight and tomorrow morning. Zach Davies has
4: been a pitcher that the market has hated for a while now. Mm -hmm. Soft tosser. A lot of home runs. Find out. Find it to see a face and a guy who's also a soft tosser and granky. That's been the run line. He's Adam Burke. It was fun, Adam. It was fun. Greg Peterson is next. I'm Jeff Parles. This has been the run line.